Hey, everyone having a good summer? We're kind of back here. I'm going to talk a little bit about leveling up in the bodybuilding world and talk a little bit about what goes into the secret sauce that helps make that happen. But first, I'm going to whine about a few things and I'm going to ask for your help. So let's get to it. And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is The Drop Set. With your host, Darren Starr. Oh, hello. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Darren. You know me. How you doing? This is episode number. Hold on. Let me alt tab over here. Uh, 202. All right. It's been that long. It's like, I don't know. Are we in the are we in the one, two, three hundreds? I don't know. I lost count. So, no, 202. 202. So here it is. It is uh, August 22nd, 2022. So episode 202 only makes sense. Now with all the twos, I can't sit on this. I have to put this out today. So uh, that's the only way this works. It's the only way this works. How are you doing? So our summer hiatus is over. Even though it's, it's still kind of summer-ish for a lot of places. But summer for me is all about the school year. When is it summer from school and then when does school go back? So um, that is when it becomes more feasible for me to be on more of a regular post- podcast schedule. It's been like that for a couple of weeks now. It's just taken me a little while to kind of get on the up and up here. And I had to whine about it a little bit on social media. There's going to be more of that whining here. So if you don't want to hear any of that, first of all, it, it's one you really do need to hear. Sorry. Uh, but skip ahead like five minutes. I'll try to contain it all within five minutes or so. But it's going to be functional whining. So let me just dig in on it right now. I need your help. I do. Do you know of all the interactions that I have with podcast listeners? Now, I have not documented this, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say about 75% of them, maybe 80%, are people asking, when is the next podcast coming out? As opposed to... Uh, questions, ideas for show segments, feedback on what they listened to and thought was useful, etc. I do get some of that, but it's overwhelmingly drowned out by people just asking for when the next episode is. So clearly, a lot of that's on me for being inconsistent, but also it just goes to show you if you have these ideas in your head, like, hey, I'd really like to hear about this, but Darren, he's probably too busy getting other ideas. No, I am a dearth of ideas. Like, I put it out on social media, and uh, I said, hey, I need your ideas, everybody, because I could just sit here and talk into the microphone, and nobody wants to listen to me sit here and talk about what I thought about the Sandman on Netflix, although I'd be happy to get into that and all the myriad of other shows that I've watched. I mean, we could just turn this into a TV review podcast. I'll never run out of stuff to talk about. Could talk about all the stuff that I've been watching on YouTube lately, all the different series that I've gotten into on there. Um, could talk about uh, what I've been doing as far as music is concerned. I could certainly talk about work and you know client progress and stuff like that. I mean, that just because that's all stuff that continues to evolve on a daily basis. But as far as like useful topics of discussion on this, like I feel like I've talked about most of it. And um, so I don't know, like uh, among those who are listening today, what do you want to hear more of? What's worth revisiting? What's something new? What's something that's kind of out there, et cetera? Uh, a new spin on an old topic, something like that. I, I need that stuff. I really do. It's also, it, it helps, um, it, it, 
validates the fact that people are listening. Because right now, like I, I, I see the metrics for this show. I know. I mean, I, I get a fair bit of listeners, but it's not really where I want it to be. And clearly, again, a lot of that falls on me. But also, I will ask for some help from you. Like, I really, really need your help in sharing these episodes talking about this podcast to other people that you think might be interested, helping point them in the right direction. Uh, it's called The Drop Set, as you may know. If you go to thedropset.com, there's subscribe links up there for whatever platform people want to listen to. It's available on, I think, every podcast platform. If there's one that's out there that it's not on, it's because I'm not aware of its existence. But the way podcasts work is you publish them through a feed, which is typically an RSS feed, and then all the other places pick up on that feed. So like when I publish a new episode, I just publish it to my feed, and then every other place it disseminates from there. So um, if there's a distribution issue, it's probably because some places like Pandora or whatever. Actually, I'm getting confused now between music distribution and podcast distribution. Pandora is a pain in the ass for music distribution. I don't think they do podcasts. I could be wrong on that. I don't know. If they do, I'm probably not there because um, Pandora likes to be a little... <clears throat> extra. So, uh, and also as a user of that service, which I am period, very rarely a user of that service. It's uh, man, I, that is a service I really dislike using. So anyway, um, so share posts, um, leave reviews, um, five star reviews, ratings, whenever possible, anything like that, share it, submit questions, um, to me, just to me directly is great. You can hit me up on social media. Um, you can contact me through my website, five star There's a contact form there. You can just email me directly, Darren at five star fitness.com, uh, social media at Darren underscore underscore star on Instagram is probably the way to do it. Um, if you go through Facebook, um, I've talked about this before. Facebook is basically basically a black hole for communication as far as I'm concerned, just with the way their messenger works and their stupid, um, idiotic way of burying um, messages sent to pages. Like I know there are a lot of businesses out there and this is a tangent already, but yeah, it's my specialty, right? There are a lot of businesses out there that function on Facebook and thrive through their Facebook page. I don't know how they do it because I find Facebook to be the worst platform in the world as far as trying to engage with people on. It's just horrific. Um, and I don't mean like having conversations with people. I mean, like I, I will get a message from somebody, respond to it and then not receive a notification that they've responded to me. And then six days later I go and look, I'm like, Oh, they respond within 10 minutes. And I never got a notification about that. That's great. Cool. It's like, it's buried in there. There's layers upon layers, or I'll get a notification that somebody commented on a post and I click on that and it just takes me to my page. It doesn't tell me what post it was or what I'm like, good Lord. And that's kind of crap. Just makes me want to quit. Like, fuck this. Ugh. Anyway, that's not what this is about. Point of this is help me survive. <laughs> help, help the drop set thrive. That's what I'm really looking for. Um, also, go to the website and vote in the poll. There is a poll up there, unbeknownst to a lot of you, I'm sure. I put a new one up just today. It's brand spanking new. Um, I'm asking the question, what's your go-to method of cardio? And I gave you four choices with a fifth being other. First one is machine, like bike, treadmill, elliptical, stairs, etc. Running outside is a treadmill. Classes would be another one. This would be like bar, less mills, orange theory, etc. cetera. Uh, Metcon work, like ropes, burpees, tire flips, sled pulls, that kind of crap, um, or other. And other might be like, you know, swimming or whatever. So um, what is your go-to method of cardio? So I know a lot of people out there will use swimming as cardio, but it's probably not their go-to method. It would be like, well, I typically do this, but when I can, I get in the pool and do some swimming. That's fair. But what's your go-to method, your primary? For me, spin bike. That is pretty 
pretty much the only thing that I do unless I catch a little bit of treadmill post-workout on certain days. So, um, go vote. Go vote. Thedropset.com. It's at the very top of the page. Very top. Well, there's a menu, and then there's a little black banner that, for some reason, is just blank. It's hanging out there. And then there's a title of the podcast, some subscribe links. It's in, like, the first third of the page. So, it's, it's the first thing at the top that you can actually do anything with or, or read. So, um, yeah, so uh, where, wherever you're at, share it. Share it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, share the posts on social media. Um, you know, as you're listening to it, share it through your own social media. Tag me, um, however you see fit. Uh, if you're on Facebook, I will say thank you, but I probably won't see it. Uh, again, for all the aforementioned reasons. Uh, Instagram or whatever, I will see it. So tag me in your stories there. Tag me in a post. Awesome. Appreciate it. Love all that stuff. Love all that stuff. So again, the most common thing I hear is when is the next episode? So with any luck, the answer to that question right now is next Monday, August 29th. So, um, also, um, I usually spend, um, um, as longtime listeners of the podcast know, very little time actually planning out a given episode so that I record it. So usually if it's a 40 minute podcast, that's usually about an hour. The planning and the recording of it is not too long because a lot of this stuff is really just off the cuff. In my immediate thoughts, it's kind of raw, it's unfiltered, it's unedited, which is kind of the point. It's kind of my brand at this point is to be unfiltered and unedited. So that's what you get. Um, but beyond that, there's a lot of time that goes into actually producing the episode, which is spitting out the file, getting all the metadata set. Um, I mentioned that it has to be posted to a feed and that feed gets disseminated. So coming up with a post for that feed and all the particulars in there um, and then artwork, et cetera, that's usually another couple hours on top of it. So um, having better content within content driven by your requests helps me out a ton. So uh, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. I have three bit little topics that I want to cover here. The first one, uh, well, not the first one. I'm going to do them out of order, but I tease these in... Um, uh, tease the third one actually is what, what we're going to get to that, that I teased at the start of this, which is, um, how to level up where I, I might refer to this differently as lifting graduation. Like how do you go from wherever you write, wherever you are in your, in your lifting and your training life, be it beginner, be it intermediate, be it advanced. How do you graduate up to the next level? What does it take to get there? So we're going to cover that. Um, the first thing that I want to talk about though, is something near and dear to my heart as a coach, um, for anyone who is new here. And given that we've been off for a bit, it's probably good for me to just very briefly reintroduce myself. I'm Darren. Hi. You probably gathered that if you've been listening to this for the last 11 minutes ish. Um, I am a uh, full-time bodybuilding coach. That's what I do. That's the only thing that I do. Well, I, I put out this podcast. This podcast makes me no money. Um, coach is how I pay the bills. That's all I do. Um, I work online with people. Um, there are very few clients that I'm working with right now. I'm trying to think right now. There are like two or three clients I think that I'm working with right now um, that I've actually met in person. Usually it's, it's, it's not a face-to-face -face kind of thing, which doesn't work for everybody, but I think it does work for most people. So um, that's what I do. Um, and that's all I do. I don't train people in person. I don't have other side hustles or anything like that. So um, I make my bones on a month-to-month -month basis on the quality of the work that I put into my clients. That's it. That's the only thing that keeps me going on a month to month basis. So, um, if you've heard stories of coaches who like ass out on their clients or, you know, just disappear or half ass programs or whatever, that's not me. Um, because, uh, I don't 
work my clients into extended contracts or anything like that. So if I want them coming back each month, I got to put in the work and, and give them a reason to come back each month. And I think that's the really is probably the best way to do business. It works for me anyway. It keeps me honest, um, which I don't really need help in being kept honest, but uh, it kind of prevents any kind of gradual slippage in uh, in the quality of work that I put in for any given person over time. So anyway, that that's me. That's what I do. So as a coach, um, one thing that is near and dear to my heart and it's something that is going to get um, additional attention on my website soon here. I'm going to be writing up some stuff on this is the concept of coachability in a client. Um, and so I've got a, a few people, I think, that are probably listening to this right now that are thinking like, oh, God, this is where he's going to talk about me. And to that, I say, well, you might be right, but it's not just about you. Um, and um, ultimately, just in the more abstract sense, like I could give you all kinds of particular stories, but I just think it's good to have a little bit more of a blanket sense of what it's like to be coachable. That does not mean that you blindly do whatever your coach says. Um, I think that's a mistake. I think it's good to ask questions. I think it's good to offer input. Uh, my philosophy on coaching is that it's largely a democratic process. Um, meaning that uh, I'm going to set a plan and then you can talk to me about how you feel about that plan. There could be a little negotiation, but ultimately, like if there's a reason for doing something other than what's written in the plan, I'd like for there to be a pretty good reason. Um, and I don't really want to do that is not a good reason. That, when I hear that, uh, means that you have some degree of uncoachability in your DNA. And I think we all have some degree of that. I know with, uh, with my coach and a lot of people ask like, Darren, why do you have a coach? I'm like, that is, that is a silly question. Um, you know, as the, uh, old axiom goes, a lawyer who represents themselves has a fool for a client. If you've heard that before, I think it's the same thing with a coach by and large. Like anyone who tries to coach themselves is kind of setting themselves up for failure. Some people can do it. Most cannot. Um, so as a coach, I understand the value of what a good coach can bring to the table. Um, and I also think there's a huge amount of value in not having to worry about my own plan when I have so many other people whose programming I do have to be responsible for. So I want to just, as far as my own programming is concerned, let somebody else worry about that and I'm just going to follow along. So um, with the plan that I get from my coach, there are times when I look at that and I'm like, mm, okay, well, fuck this with a capital F, ugh, but I do it. Um, and if there's something that I don't think I can do, I'm going to tell her and I'm going to give a, the best cases I can to why. And then I'm going to say, but if you need me to do this, I will. And so that's my attempt to like have that conversation and push back a little bit. Like, I don't know, you know, and, and so I had that, that conversation recently because I got to be kind of fat. Okay. Here, here story time. Everybody pull up a chair. Pull up a chair, sit crisscross applesauce on the ground. I'm going to sit in my rocking chair, and Grandpa Darren's going to tell you all a story here. So, one, one, one day, long, long ago, about four weeks ago or whatever, um, I was I was a fat tub of goo. Uh, well, I got up to right about, I was right on the cusp of 250. I was sitting at about 249, and let me tell you, I was uncomfortable. You can take that word, you can put it in all caps, you can bold it and you can underline it and you could have blinking red text all over it. Uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable. Like I was eating 5,500 to 6,000 calories a day and I could put that down and then I wake up the next morning and it got to the point where I would wake up after a really good night's sleep and I was still super full. 
and uh, facing another 5,500 to 6,000 calories to put down that day while already full upon waking. That's a bad place to be. Um, and it got to the point where, I mean, it started out where it was pretty easy. It's like, oh, I can do this. This is great. I'm eating all the time. And then eventually it's like, oh, okay, there's a lot of food. Mm, okay, I'm kind of full. Oh, boy, I'm really full. Oh, my God, I'm fucking miserable. Like, it got to that point. It's like, you know, my stomach was so distended all the time. I really felt like I was about six months pregnant. And, uh, like, I'm in the gym. And in between sets, I'm like, I can't get a deep breath. It's like, oh, God. Uh, it didn't look bad, but, man, it felt miserable. So I, I, I told Eva, my coach, I'm like, okay, uh, we got to do something. We got to turn this around. Like, can we just pull things back a little bit? And her, the way that she heard that sentence was, hey, I feel fat. I would like you to murder me. Um, and so that's what she did. So we went from um, having, like, close to 6,000 calories to somewhere in the ballpark of like 16 to 1700 calories in a day and went from doing a little bit of cardio to doing double sessions every single day. So 14 cardio sessions a week. And I looked at that and I'm like, okay. And at first I'm like, okay, that diet actually looks kind of appealing. Like I went from six meals down to four, which was immediately like, oh my God, that's great. And the meals were smaller. I'm like, oh God, the meal prep was way easier. I'm like, oh, thank God. All right. My grocery bill got cut down to about a third of where it was, <laughs> which, you know, my calories were less than a third of where they were too. So that kind of makes sense. But uh, it's expensive to eat 6,000 calories a day, especially when it's super high protein and they're all coming from high quality sources. Like that bill was adding up fast. So um, anyway cut that way down. I'm like, I'm cool with the diet, the cardio. And I just, I just told her straight up. I'm like, I'm going to struggle with this cardio. Like every day I can do cardio every day, doing it twice a day though. Cause she specified like AM and PM, um, to really kind of break it up. Uh, and so I, I just told her, I'm like, I'm probably going to struggle with this a little bit, and I'll, but I'll give it a shot. And her response was good. <laughs> which, you know, a little tough love there. I'm like, okay. And so my thinking there was, man, I've always struggled with this. I've never been in a position where I've hit two cardio sessions in a day more than like as a one-off and actually, uh, been able to do it and convince myself like, okay, well I'm going to do a cardio session and take a shower right before dinner. It's like, eh, no, that's always going to get missed. That's the story that I would tell myself. Um, but then she put that out there and I said, you know, if, if you think I need to, I'll do it. And she just said, good. And I said, all right, so that's that we'll do it. And suddenly this thing that I had never done successfully with any level of consistency before I'm now doing it every day. Um, and hitting that second cardio session on top of the first 30 minutes a piece. So an hour a day, seven days a week. Um, and realistically, it's, it's tiring. If I need to continue with that for a while, I can. I think the whole idea of this phase is like it's supposed to be three or four weeks. It took me a little while to get going on it, though, because I had so much food that it was that was already prepped and that I'd already bought. Like I had to kind of go through that because I'm like, this grocery bill is expensive. I'm not wasting this shit. So um, I continued to kind of go through what I had. And it took me quite a while after receiving that plan from her to actually turn things around and get it implemented. And I think you've got to make some allowances for that. And as a coach, I do that, too. I don't want people wasting stuff. So, you know, if I make wholesale changes in their meal plan or whatever, I expect that they're going to go through whatever they've already prepped, et cetera, just to kind of, you know, um, 
be a little bit more responsible. That's fine. I don't have any issues with that. So it took me a little while to get going. Um, and then the first full week on it, um, I just wrapped up this last weekend and I was down over nine pounds in a week. So, you know, it's, it's clearly working and I feel good about getting the extra cardio in. And the only reason that happened is because I decided I was going to be coachable and just do what I was told to do. Um, it doesn't mean I didn't question it. Or I think it was like, this seems a little while, a little while, but man, I feel so much better right now. Um, I really do. I really do. So, um, and you know, I'm down from, you know, at my peak, I was about 249 this morning. I was 226. So, uh, a lot of those initial pounds just came from as soon as I started eating less, um, because as I was going through my previously prepped stuff, I just started pulling down some servings. And so there's a transitional phase that took me to get down to where I was supposed to be in terms of calories. It took a little while. I, just, I definitely dropped some some weight during that. But, you know, I started about 240 or so now 226. So going well, going well, but you got to be coachable. And that means your, your coach likely is going to ask you to do some shit that you don't want to do. And that in a nutshell is why you hired a coach in the first place. If you hire a coach just to tell you to keep doing the same stuff you've already been doing because through your negotiation process, that's what you end up doing, don't hire a coach, please. Like, I, d I don't expect when, when I start working with somebody that they're all, I mean, some people do this, but it's not my expectation. They're just going to do everything that I ask, no questions asked. They're going to have some questions. They're going to want to know the reasoning behind certain things. Why am I doing this, et cetera? I don't take that as a challenge, but just information. Uh, but when somebody says, like, I, I know I can't do this, so what else you got for me? Or somebody says, yeah, I'm not going to train legs twice a week. It's like, why hire a coach if you're coming in with hard and fast rules like that? Um, it, it's it's frustrating for me. Um I would say it's frustrating for the, the client as well, but it's a frustration created by their lack of open-mindedness and willing to try things that are outside of their comfort zone. So it's kind of a self-enforced or a self-generated frustration. Um, but uh, it, it, it's also like you hire a coach because the idea is you've decided that you trust this person enough to help them get to where you want to go. And if that's part of getting where you want to go, well, then why don't you just fucking do it? And coming into the equation with a whole bunch of like, okay, so this, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm doing this and I want to keep doing this. And as soon as I start reading things like that, um, I did actually, um, I did something unprecedented here this last week, um, which is somebody started up and we started having an email conversation like this. And I let them go and refunded their first payment immediately. I'm like, this isn't going to work. You know, I, I thought we had a chance to make something work here, but um, I was wrong. Um, so I'm going to chalk this up as, you know, a lesson learned for me. I wasted a little time in writing up that plan, sending it over. Um, but I'm not going to continue with this because it's going to be frustrating for them. It's going to be frustrating for me. It's going to stress my ass out and I don't need that. And I, you could just tell like, okay, this person is completely uncoachable. And oftentimes, you know, coachability comes on a spectrum, right? So you have some people that are good soldiers and are just like, no questions asked. Yes, sir. Whatever you want, et cetera. And then someone like that, where every single point on the plan becomes a bone of contention. Um, and if you're like that, you know, if, if there are little things here and there that require a little arm twisting or a little convincing, et cetera, I'm totally cool with that. If every single element of the program, like why are my macros set up this way? I can't follow this lifting schedule. I'm not going to do this cardio. I, I can't meal prep like this. I'm like, this will not work. You know, there, there's no amount of 
of negotiating or or convincing or anything that's going to get that into a position where it's productive. So that's somebody that's just I, I have no idea why that person hired a coach or, or why they hired me as a coach anyway, knowing as they did um, how I how I operate. So uh, so point is, if you hire a coach, you know, do your research so that you have a good sense of who you're hiring. And at that point, you should trust them enough to just follow what they're what they're telling you to do again, not blindly, not without asking questions, but understand that they probably have your best interests in mind and they're going to ask you to do shit that's outside your comfort zone. Like um, one thing that I don't think I have ever said to any of my coaches when they draft up a training plan is I don't like that movement. Um, but yet I hear that from clients of mine every day, every single day. And my response is, I don't care. I mean, that, that's my initial response in my head. What I always say is a little bit more diplomatic. So any of my clients who are listening to this right now, you're getting the inside secret sauce here and how my brain operates. So my initial reaction is, I don't care, do it anyway. Uh, but the, what I say, and this is true, and this is kind of where that comes from, is there's a reason you don't like it. And the reason is probably because you suck at it. And you suck at it for probably a pretty good reason. A lot of that might be because you don't do it. So it's this feedback loop, right? You suck at something that you don't do and therefore you continue to suck at it. So why don't we just learn how to do it and develop a new skill? Okay. A very common thing uh, for this is front squats, right? I mean, everybody, I don't like front squats. I don't care if you don't like front squats, we're going to learn how to do them. Um, and sometimes they don't like doing them because they have done them, but they didn't feel good. They didn't feel productive. They hurt, etc. At which point I'm like, well, a front squat is always going to kind of hurt and be uncomfortable. That's kind of the nature of it, but let's look at it and see if we can't identify a problem here. Cause there's probably a good reason why you don't like it. If there's a reason why it's uncomfortable, that's probably going to tell us something. So instead of running away from the problem and reducing our available exercise vocabulary, let's zero in on the problem and fix it. Yeah. Make sense. Cool. So it's all about being coachable. Um, and, and not telling your coach, yeah, I'm not doing that unless it's like, I'm not going to eat that food that I'm allergic to. Okay. That's my bad because I should have asked about food allergies. I do. Um, and it has happened before where, Hey, we're all human. I make an honest mistake and I'll plug something in a meal plan. That they've told me they're allergic to, and it's just, I, f I forgot to double check or it slipped my mind. It happens. And I've, I've worked with people before. Who were like, okay, so I said I was allergic to that, but you put it in my plan, so I ate it anyway. I'm like, what? No, no, don't eat something that you know you're allergic to. I made a mistake, okay? Don't go to the fucking hospital because I made a mistake. Jesus. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's a, an example of someone who's probably a little too coachable. Like, they'll just do anything I tell them to. Ooh, yeah. So, I guess you can be coachable to a fault. That, that has happened once before that I can remember. Um, thankfully, it wasn't a serious allergy, but nonetheless. It was like, yeah, that's bad. That's bad. So that's coachability in a nutshell. Now, the, the hidden topic here, the, the hidden topic in this podcast episode that I, uh, I wanted to cover here is, is one that we'll just touch on briefly here. Um, but uh, it's, it's about helping other people. Um, and I don't mean like, Hey, left, let's all lift each other up. But I mean, I get a lot of questions from people who are, um, they, they look to me as a resource, which is great. I don't mind that at all. I appreciate it. Um, and they say like, Hey, I've got this friend. I've got this colleague. I've got this coworker. I've got this gym buddy. I've got this family member, whatever, who, um, 
who need some help with their diet. And I'm, I'm just wondering like how best to, uh, what, what would be the best advice to give them, et cetera, and that kind of stuff. So, um, now of course I'm always going to entertain and like, well, tell me a little bit about them, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. But the thing is like, there, there's a couple of categories, um, uh, of where this comes from. Now, if this is unsolicited advice that you're looking to give somebody, do not waste your time. It will not work. Unsolicited dietary advice is never welcome. It's never acted upon um, or anything like that. I would also say if, if somebody is asking somebody for help on their diet, like they are taking the initiative and they are asking a question and they're asking somebody who then has to go and ask somebody else, they're asking the wrong person probably on some level they know they're asking the wrong person because they aren't really that serious about it. So I am always a little skeptical um, about this, uh, about, about offering in-depth advice, just because I know it's almost never going to get followed. Like even if it gets passed on correctly, you know, playing the, the telephone game where what I say gets relayed directly back to the person correctly. And as I intended it to, um, it's highly unlikely it's, it's not going to get followed. Right. So if somebody asks me directly, that's different. If somebody asks somebody who asks me, that's a level of, of that's a level of separation that usually indicates to me like, yeah, this isn't really gonna, gonna help too much. Um, but the other thing is you got to know, like a lot of people say like, oh, well eat clean, do this, do that, do that. But you got to know who you're talking to. Like there are plenty of people out there where all you can say is like, Hey, switch from Coke to diet Coke. And suddenly they're, they're going to cut out like 1100 calories a day in doing that. That might be all they really need to do in order to get things rolling. Right. Wh what you're looking to do with somebody is help them create a little bit of momentum so that they can see some results and go there or something simple like stop drinking your calories, whatever it happens to be, something like that. Or, um, you know, cut, cut your meals out down to just once a week, you know, something easy, something super obvious, super basic, whatever, but also understand that a lot of that dietary advice is useless. And a lot of people who have significant weight issues, it's not so much the food, it's their head and the way that mentally they approach food. Like that's something that needs to be addressed because you can do everything that you want with particulars around their food intake. Um, but if you don't, un if you don't address that underlying need to kind of reexamine their approach to food it's not going to, nothing's going to matter. So, um, like you, they might see a little bit of uh, success in the short term, but they've got to change their mindset first. So just as a cautionary tale, um, I think certainly under no circumstances should anybody ever give anybody unsolicited dietary advice. I certainly don't. Uh, I am very stingy even with solicited dietary advice because I know if somebody asks me directly, like I'm at a party or something like that, I'm like, hey, what do you think? I'm going to give them some bullshit answer because I know that if I wasn't standing there and they weren't trying to make small talk, they would never ask me that question. You know, they don't really care. You can tell. I mean, I can tell. <laughs> so um, especially if they're like, if they haven't done anything else, but I'm not going to totally blow them off, but I'm going to answer it in such a way that it's not uh, going to keep the conversation going for too much longer. Right. Cause it's the other thing is like in a social situation, the last thing that I want to do is talk about work and talk about somebody's diet or talk about the CrossFit class that they went to two years ago or whatever. That's, that's all I get from people. All I get. I had a gym membership once. Oh yeah. What do you think about keto man? If I had a dollar, 
oh my God, for every time I heard somebody ask me about keto or intermittent fasting, oh my God, I would retire. Or if I pumped all that money into this podcast, uh, this thing would be like blazing. We'd have hundreds of thousands of listeners every month. Uh, it's just, it's a cliche at this point. And sometimes like if I'm going to get my haircut and there's, there's someone new working there, I'll tell them what I do just to, I'm making a bet with myself. I'm like, they're going to ask me about keto or intermittent fasting. I am never wrong. I'm serious. Every fucking time it doesn't fail. It's, it's to the point now where it is a running joke in my head. Like this is what they're going to ask me about. Yeah. Keto or intermittent fasting every single time. Oh my God. Uh, and eventually once that happens, I'm just going to start laughing and I'm going to tell them that and that'll be kind of rude, but I don't care. I'm just sick of it. So for the record, I don't like either of those. So, um, okay. Let's talk about lifting graduation, right? Hold on. I didn't take a little sip here. I've been talking for 30 minutes straight. Whew. Mm. There we go. All right. I feel recharged. Derpy, derpy. I called her derpy. I do that sometimes. She is pretty derpy sometimes. Derpy. How you doing? She is asleep. She is asleep hard. Where is Taz? Taz must be upstairs somewhere. All right. The drop set mascots are, uh, they aren't, uh, they aren't pulling their weight today. Um, okay. So lifting graduation, how do you go from being a beginning lifter to an intermediate lifter to an advanced lifter? Um, there's a progression here and the answer is different for everybody. Um, I wish there was a really easy answer here, but there is not, but there are certain things to think about. Um, just because everybody has a different skill set in the gym. And the one thing that you always need to be thinking about with this is the skills involved. And you've heard me say this before, if you are a longtime listener of the podcast, that every exercise in the gym is a skill. Now, what do you do when you're trying to improve a skill? You practice. That's what every repetition is. Every repetition is you practicing that skill. If you think about it, if you just go there and you move the weight and then you get up and take your rest, you're not focusing on skill development. So, and how you improve your physique is through improving the skills of making your body do the work right? They are skills. Like a bicep curl seems kind of dumb. It is a skill. And if you go into the gym and watch people with my eyes, you'll see that a lot of people fail at that skill. They just don't have it. Like they're moving the way, but they aren't doing the work. They, they aren't doing the correct work. So, um, I am always going, I've been doing this for over 20 years and I'm still going every time I get set up to do a curl, I'm making sure that, you know, my posture is set, right. My body is cued in the right way. And I'm lifting with the intention of driving that skill development up. It's kind of like leveling up in a video game that doesn't have a level cap. Like you can always get better. You can always improve your execution at a movement if you focus on things thinking that they are skills to be developed because they are. So the question is, how do you develop that skill? Well, the first thing that I would say is finding out what your physical potential is. And the way to do that is through progressive overload. So um, if you're a beginning lifter and you want to progress towards intermediate, first of all, it helps to have a good, like functional anatomical idea of the body and how it works. Meaning like, okay, there's a, you've got pectorals, right? So, and I don't care. We're not talking about differentiating between the pec major and the pec minor or anything like that, but your pecs, how do you train them? What are typical chest exercises? Now, right there, that's going to stump a lot of people. Like if you're a rank beginner, you'd be like, uh, I don't know, push up. Well, yes, yes. Good. A uh, bench press. Yeah. Okay, great. What else? Uh, you know, so part of it's just learning that. How do you learn that? You immerse yourself in it. You read about it. You follow workout programs, you watch videos, you read some more and you do it. 
So it can't all be academic. You, you do need to read, you do need to research, watch, study, but then you've got to do it as well, right? So over time, you get an idea of like, okay, what are the, 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 the exercises that are going to, that are going to train the pecs, you know, primarily and secondarily. Um, and what are they, what kind of exercises are they involved in, but they're really just like stabilizers or they're tertiary or whatever. So, um, getting a good understanding of that, but then also like, okay, now what are the families of those movements? Like if you look at a, a pec or a pair of pecs, um, most of us have two, right? Um, (laughs) For some reason, I just thought that was really funny. That just gives you way more insight into my head than you probably need right now. A pair of pecs. Peter Peck to pick a puck. Yeah, whatever. Um, I swear I'm not drunk. This is not this is not beer or wine that I'm drinking here. It's a Monster Zero. Go figure, right? I'm sure that shocks everybody. Um, what are the families of exercises that would fall into what we would classify as, as chest movements as exercises for the pecs? Well, you've got two main ones, right? A press and a fly. Okay, great. So how do those work? How are they different? How are they similar? So if you, and this, this is where it becomes a little bit more abstract and you want to think about this, but as soon as you start to think about this and you start to see the human body as just a series of levers and joints, it's really helpful. So, Take a look at a bench press. Watch somebody do a bench press, but envision you've cut off their arms at the elbows. So the forearms, the hands, the bars are not there. Just watch what their upper upper arm does. Watch what their humerus does in relation to their shoulder. And now if you watch that same person do a fly, but the same thing, like what's really different there? Not much. It's pretty much the same movement. A press and a fly, pretty much the same. Um, meaning it's horizontal adduction. So it's, it's the elbow starting out wide away from the body and coming towards the body. And if you just sit in your chair or whatever you're doing right now, listen to this and you kind of mimic that motion there and put your hand on your pec, like I'm pressing with my left arm right now, I'm putting my right hand on my left pec and I can feel that I can feel the pec engaging under the skin there. So that that's all you know chest exercise is really just horizontal adduction and then from there it's just about changing angles and grips um and so what i often will tell people when they're when they're giving me videos to look at and i'm offering them feedback on it is i'm not i I, if there's something clearly wrong like if they're bouncing the barbell off their chest and just way overcompensating with stretch reflex or something like that or they're not going deep enough they're giving me half reps or something like that whatever you know i'm going to tell them that if they're going obviously way too light if they're going way too heavy you know those are the things i'm going to comment on but i'm also going to give them some feedback on things like hey what if you try and change up your grip there like on that dumbbell press what if you go from a pronated grip to a neutral grip and understanding how to interpret those instructions is a big part of graduating your lifting skill as well. Pronated, neutral, supinated, regular grip, reverse grip. Those are a lot of different ways to say the same thing. Like reverse grip means supinated realistically. So underhand is what we're looking for there. Pronated would be overhand. Neutral grip would be in between. So if I, if I say a neutral grip pull down, you can automatically think what your hand position is supposed to be there. And then your next question is, okay, how wide? close grip, medium, narrow grip, and then you're looking for the appropriate handle, right? If I say supinated grip, you're like underhand. Okay, cool. And they're thinking like, well, now that narrows things down. There's only a few, a few handles that I could potentially use that would allow me to use a supinated grip. Okay, cool. So, you know, piecing those things together, having the vocabulary, understanding the system of joints and levers in the body, 
all super helpful. Like, you know, if you, if you then look to like back exercises and you understand that, you know, a seated cable row and a T-bar row and a barbell row are all basically the same thing. They're all rows. One of them's um, seated. Two of them are standing. Um, one of them can be self-supported. The other two, you have to sell, you have to support yourself more than likely. Um, like on the seated row, you have to support yourself. You know, your, your lumbar spine is more engaged. If you do a chest-supported T-bar row, you can be supported by the machine. Barbell row, you have to self-support. Um, understanding the similarities between those, but also the differences. So it's the same thing. Like you know, it's all about um, angle and grip. And if, if you play around with it, I will tell people to experiment with differences in grip all the time. There isn't really a right or a wrong answer, but it's about getting people to understand like what, what feels different about this, which of these feels more effective right now. Like if we go from a neutral grip to a supinated grip, can you tell the difference? Does that feel different? Um, you want to make sure you get full range of motion on everything, unless the program specifically calls for restricted range of motion, which it should rarely do, you know, by default, full range of motion is always the answer. Um, so getting that understanding in there is really, really critical. I would say that's, that's kind of like 101, 102, 103 level stuff. It's the basics getting into, you know, less basic concepts as well. Just kind of understanding how the body works and making sure that you feel engagement with all the muscles that you're working. And it's really easy to start with something like biceps because the bicep is a really obvious thing whether you've got massive guns or not if you can visually when you do a curl you can see the bicep get shorter you can see it get longer having that visual cue helps you understand what the muscle is doing but understand that all muscles are doing that they're all getting shorter and longer under the skin whether you can see them or not and your aim is to feel that you want to feel that on the widest variety of movements possible under as many different variables as possible. So angle, grip, tempo, rep range, high volume, low volume, etc. You're going to find that some of those are a little bit more of a struggle. Some of them come a little bit easier. The ones that are a struggle, you know, like I said before in the coachability discussion, you want to focus on like trying to trying to hammer that a little bit. Like fo focus on really kind of uh, trying to, you know, pick at that scab a little bit. Like you kind of suck at something, focus on it. There's a reason you suck at it. And so bring it down to its basics, drop the weight, go a little bit slower and try to analyze what's going on there. You know, if you've got a coach, send him a video so that you can take a look at it uh, so that they can take a look at it and say like, oh, you know what the problem is here? Your machine isn't set up right. Your seat's too high. Your seat's too low, whatever. So you're going too fast. You're putting too much of your hips into this movement. It's supposed to be a back exercise. So you're going too heavy. Drop the weight, slow it down, longer squeeze, etc. Here's a tempo you can try. Um, the next thing would be um, once you're in that, you, you, you're feeling stuff and then you, you're going into the progressive overload next where we're doing movements correctly. We're feeling it. Now we want to increase the load over time, right? Now, a lot of people can spend years, years, and should spend years probably in this, this time period where progressive overload is the focus. This is kind of the nuts and bolts of bodybuilding is progressive overload. Because if you can make a muscle through when using proper form, that's the key point here, push more, a greater load over time, that muscle is going to have no choice but to grow, assuming, you, assuming that you're feeding it in a way that allows it to grow. So the trick there is with proper form. Now, if through progressive overload, you get so aggressive in your weight increases that your form breaks down, suddenly it's not the same exercise anymore. You know, 
if you start with 95 pounds on the bar and you're squatting and your form looks great and you go up to 115, your form looks great. You go up to 135, you start cheating your depth a little bit. You go up to 155 and now you're doing half reps. Guess what? You're not doing a squat anymore. You're doing half squats. So your progressive overload doesn't count anymore, but your ego is going to tell you that it does. You've got to tell your ego to fuck off. It is going to destroy your progress. It's going to make it easier for you to get hurt over time as well. So you need to decide for every exercise. So for every several hundred exercises that there are out there, you've got to have a consensus on what is proper. What is it supposed to look like and what is correct? And then as you drive forth in generating progressive overload over time, you don't let yourself stray from that image of what it's supposed to look like. That's where most people fail with progressive overload. They get so stuck on driving the numbers up that they don't think about like, oh yeah, I'm actually not doing the same exercise. Like I'm still doing a curl, but I'm swinging a whole lot more. Well, yeah, so you're really kind of cheating to move that extra weight, aren't you? It's no longer the same curl it used to be. If your form was sloppy to begin with, and now it's the same amount of sloppy, okay, cool. I still think we should fix that and dial it back so it's less sloppy, but at least you're comparing apples to apples there. Um, but if your exercise changes and just the quality of your form can mean that an exercise has changed realistically, um, that's no good. So you can't let yourself do that. You can't fall into playing the ego game. And a lot of people will get to a point where um, they're doing progressive overload and then things just kind of start to hurt. You know, they're not getting injured, but they feel like they're more susceptible to injury just because it's like, God, this is heavy. My joints are starting to hurt, et cetera. That's a good sign that you're kind of hitting the upper limits on progressive overload. And you might need to find new ways to create a better challenge. So at that point, the next way to level up is actually going to be to dial things back a little bit. Less weight, slower tempos. That's often the answer. Um, and, and when I say slower tempos, I mean a lot slower than what you might think. So um, like half speed to what you're normally doing. And this is the, the spot where I really start to lose a lot of people because the weights that you'll move when you start doing reps at half speed are embarrassingly low. Guess what? Don't care. Doesn't matter. Are you trying to curl a bunch of weight or are you trying to build muscle? That's what your goal is. If you're trying to build, if you're trying to move a bunch of weight, okay, cool. We're not having the same conversation here because that's not my goal. Um, now, progressive overload is very valid still. It always is. But there does come a point where, and this isn't like a blanket thing, but like for me, I hit that point on my barbell squats a few years back where it's like, if I keep going up from here, I'm just going to hurt myself. I could tell like my, my back is starting to have, uh, is starting to complain a little bit. My ankles and knees actually are starting to feel a little compromised here. You know, it's when I was trying to push up to like a 400 pound squat. I'm like, you know, my squat looks good, but this feels destructive. Like this doesn't feel like I'm helping anything. So that was one of the first movements where I felt like, yeah, I'm really, uh, I'm really kind of playing with fire here. Um, and lately I've been applying that thinking to more and more things, just understanding I'm getting older and, um, you know, I, I would like to continue progressing on this path for a long time still to come, but I need to accept that, you know, the more weight that I move, the more my body ages. That's, that's the big thing. And when you're 20, 25, 30, who gives a shit? That's fine. You got, you got room to play with. You can be a little bit more aggressive and maybe, maybe just a little bit more reckless than I would say you need, don't want to play with fire on that. 
but as you get older, like, yeah, you've got to take some precautions. There's nothing wrong with that. So like I did a giant set for biceps the other day. And if you look at some of the videos that I've posted, I posted a couple of them recently on Instagram. Um, they kind of show me implementing this, this different kind of thinking here, which my coach has kind of helped push me in this direction. Um, so there's a, a giant set that I did for curls, which was a, a wide grip, easy bar curl, a narrow grip, easy bar curl, and then um, alternating dumbbell curls. Just one right after the other is a giant set. And so I, I took that easy, par, easy bar and I put a 10 pound plate on each side of it. And I did 10 reps narrow. I'm sorry, 10 reps wide, 10 reps narrow. And then I dropped it and grabbed 20 pound dumbbells and did 10 reps. And the thing is, if you watch that video, you can see my form. Is it perfect? Not quite, but it's pretty damn tight. There's really no swinging to speak of. There's a little swaying here and there just because uh, I was, I didn't put my back up against a wall as somebody commented that maybe I should have. I agree with that. That would have been smarter. Um, but for all intents and purposes, I was as still as I could make myself. And so when you can make your body hurt with less weight, that's the next level of skill development from there. And that's going to ensure longevity and it's going to ensure, ensure that you can keep growing long term. Um, and so sometimes it's just like, hey, you know what? In between reps here, you need to give yourself a three-second stretch. And not just like, okay, take take three beats in between reps. Like, no, like aggressively stretch the muscle. Like on this pull-down, I want you to push up at the top of each rep, in between each rep, and really, really push it. Stretch that muscle and pull back down. Guess what? If you do that using normal weight, you're going to burn out around four or five reps. Like, And you will find like, man, I've got to dial this way down. The more fatigue you can generate, the more blood flow you can generate with less weight, the more work the muscle is doing and the less stressed your connective tissues and your joints and your bones are going to be stressed. So that's really the secret sauce. And, um, you know, for, for people who are lucky and have really good genetics and they kind of, you know, they, they're able to kind of come close to capping out on their physique's potential fairly early on, if you adopt that final phase that that slow down lighten up phase early on um you're you're gonna have a great career being probably you know you know all uh, unknowns aside relatively injury free for a long time um, versus all your competitors who are lifting like branch warren and just going balls to the wall and lifting as heavy as they can and missing shows because they're injured so you don't want to be like that you don't want to be like that you want to set yourself up for success in the long term and that is the way to do it. So those are my thoughts there. Um, I guess that's about it. And we're, we're 50 minutes in. That's pretty good right? for a welcome back episode. I'll take it. So, um, as I said at the top of this, please share this episode amongst your friends through your social media, leave reviews, leave ratings, please submit your ideas. If you have interview ideas for who I should be talking to and inviting on here, that'd be great. I'd appreciate that. Go to the dropset.com vote in the poll. Talk to me about cardio. If you have comments beyond that, certainly let me know if you have questions like, Hey, you know, your poll question made me think about this in terms of cardio, shoot it over, shoot it over. Absolutely. So I appreciate everybody hanging with me throughout hiatus we're back with any luck we'll be back next monday as well i think i've got a schedule set up that kind of allows me to do this on mondays and be fairly consistent with it so we'll see how that goes in the long term